2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour what might just be the biggest week of the year for stocks with mega cap tech reporting interest rates and you as you know uh, and anxiety have been rising the investment committee debating the road ahead for your money joining me now for the hour Liz Young Joe Terranova Anastasia Amoroso and Steve Weiss let's check the markets because wow different picture uh, at this moment than it certainly looked a couple hours ago we are green across the board there's the 10-year note yield 486 it was above five a little while ago Uh, Liz Young so, huge week. Um, obviously, mega cap's going to be front and center. But this move in yields is going to have maybe the most outsized uh, impact on where stocks go because of what we're just witnessing today. Yields are up, stocks down, yields come off, stocks go up. Is it that simple?
0: Well, I don't think it's simple at all. I think we're going through this whipsaw environment where people are trying to decide whether we're OK with the 10-year going down or we're OK with the 10-year going up. Is it sending a bullish signal or a bearish signal? And I think one of the biggest things I know I've been talking about this ad nauseum but is the yield curve inversion and the fact that it got down to the narrowest level since a, a very long time. We got down to 12 basis points today. We're back to 22 basis points inverted now. but. That's a really small level. And thinking about the idea that it's not the yield curve that causes a recession, right? The yield curve doesn't actually do anything. It's more the signal of what capital looks like in the economy right now and what people's expectations are for the economy. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I do think the two-year will start to come down, which will then send a more decidedly negative signal for what might be to come.
2: The real question, Joe, is whether, you know, look, we've had this big move in rates and whether yields are, are topping out. Now, I don't know how closely you watched every tick by tick of the market until showtime today, but it appears to us that and others, by the way, who I've spoken to that Bill Ackman moved the market today. So we worked up this this chart, which shows you the time that he tweeted that he covered his long bond short, which he's had on for a long period of time. So we're showing you that now. over on that other side of your screen, right? So, you know, Dow's down by more than 200 points. Ackman tweets that. And it, basically the same exact time you had yields start to come down and then stocks do the exact opposite, which went up. Now, the Dow right now is up 24 or so points. Um, it appears that's what happened. He says, quote, there's too much risk in the world to remain short bonds at current long-term rates. The implication being all that risk means people are going to end up buying treasuries. And that's going to force rates lower. Yes. What do
3: you think? I think it's a great trade by Bill. I think it's an excellent trade. Time to cover, you mean? I think, Is I think that, that I th- short? I, no, I think the fact that Bill consistently throughout the, the third quarter was messaging to markets that he was short treasuries. He sat with you at delivering alpha and basically doubled down on that position, uh, reiterating his short position. And like any good trader, Bill has the ability to observe the environment and then change his mind accordingly based on what he sees, and I applaud him for that. I think it's a great trade. Um, I agree with his assessment of where the economy is. I think the economy is, without question, decelerating. He
2: says it's weaker, you know, than, than people think, Absolutely. and that and that the the data would otherwise show. We can we could show you. I mean, there's the intraday. Guys, throw that back up, please. That there, that was the intraday of the ten year. I mean, we could show you just an intraday of the S and P. Uh, as well. You'll get the same idea if you overlaid those, by the way. I mean, you'd see from the the moment that tweet came out with his trade that he covered the long bond short, uh, the market just flipped. It it did. And today is the type of day
3: where there's no real earnings. There's no real economic news. So to have that type of news where someone who's been so uh, speaking so uh, so so much about the Treasury market and his position in the Treasury market, now he covers it accordingly, you're going to get not only a, a technical lift in the market, but you're also gonna get that lift based on perception overall. I don't think it washes away a lot of the challenges that we have as it relates to earnings, and we'll talk a little bit about that Mm -hmm. as the show moves on, but certainly you're not getting rewarded for good earnings
2: and you're getting punished for really bad earnings. So, Anastasia, I mean, we can move away from Ackman, you know, the person for a moment and just talk about the idea that, you know, have rates topped out or are they in the process of topping out? Because essentially that's what matters more than anything else.
4: Right, I think near term the rates may have topped out. And the reason I say that, we're coming out of an incredibly strong Q3, and at least we're gonna get the exact number later this week, but that's not likely to be repeated in the fourth quarter. I think economy is gonna be a lot slower. So the growth factor that's propped up the 10-year treasury, I think we can see some of that go back. We also have the core PC inflation that comes out this Friday. We're looking for a year over year print of 3.7%. 3. 3 point seven percent on core that's actually a really great number that's showing the inflation is decelerating and then you know we got the central bank policy i think we kind of get it now i think the markets get it that it is high for longer and so i think we've priced in the appropriate amount of that so for those reasons you know i think the 10-year can pause i think there's another deeper story here and that is the delinquencies are rising, charge-offs are starting to rise, uh, corporate bankruptcy filings are starting to rise. So there is definitely some weakness that's emerging under the surface. So that's why I think Blackman was saying that there's definitely risks that are impossible to ignore.
2: Well, I mean, Weiss, it is the debate. Now, what if I was to tell you, OK, rates have topped. Rates have peaked for the foreseeable future. Does that change the way you view the near term of the market?
5: Not at all first of all i don't buy into that rates have peaked for the foreseeable future what bill's saying is i made a lot of money in this trade that the economy is so bad and the geopolitical landscape so bad. Yeah, right.
2: Things that, have changed right.
5: a bit. Right. So rates aren't going to go much higher. So the risk reward in rates, are they going to go to 6% or are they going to go to 4%? He's handicapping, say, that the risk is probably greater that rates are going to go lower. But why? It's for what I've been talking about past year. If the Fed eases, they're easing because the market's going to be in a tailspin because the economy is in a tailspin. So what you're seeing are algos drive the market up. And that's purely what's happening. Mm-hmm. No fundamental investor is going to come in based upon how Bill laid it out, which I agree with a 1,000%, and buy equities. So no, just because rates have peaked, the damage has been done to the economy. Oh,
2: let's put it this way. I'm, right. glad, you, I'm glad you said that, and I'll let, I'll let you finish. Right um, Now, I have no idea as to whether you know, because he thought that rates were going to go down, whether he's upped his exposure to equities right. as a result. He's already long equities. Yeah. Th- this was like a hedge that, that he's had on for a long period of time. So I just want to preface it right. all with that. It's not like, you know, all of a sudden, oh, rates are down. So my exposure has suddenly changed to go way up. Right. And I'm
5: glad you cleared it up. And He's not saying put money into equities. If you want to read through, I'm going to guess and say he's saying don't put money into equities, right? Because it's a dangerous backdrop. So look, the damage has been done with where rates are, and that's the fallacy in the bull case that we've stopped raising rates, okay? But what hasn't stopped, as Anastasia just pointed out, is the damage to the economy, right? So we're seeing now delinquency. You mean the lag effects? The lag effect, yeah. Rates for so much longer. So I've been thinking about this quite a bit, like why do some pockets of consumer spending still stay there? And I'm going to tell you why I think. I think because with free money being around 15 years, people just aren't paying attention. It's like people that now are saying, what do you mean I could have gotten X plus my house six months ago? What do you mean I've taken so much less for it? So there's that lag effect, and there's that lag effect also in interest rates. So they're not even looking at their credit card balances and not realizing what the rate is that they're having to spend now to finance their balances. See,
2: Anastasia, I go back to, because it it all, kind of the umbrella of this conversation comes back to what David Tepper told me on the record, you know, a few weeks back, um, that it's just a different market now than it was from QE to QT, uh, higher for longer. and what's the right multiple in that scenario. Now, earnings may help you figure that out, and the movement in rates will, in large part, dictate where the multiple maybe should be, but it's still a great unknown. Because there are too many things we just don't know.
4: I mean, it is such a different market. And I think investors are starting to appreciate that everything quantitative easing has done, QT is unwinding. So if QE has helped us to finance very chiefly the budget deficits, it's not doing that anymore. If QE has enabled this you know, cheap leverage that's available to everybody, that's not happening any- anymore. And Scott, you know, personally, I am becoming a little bit more concerned that this was the year of soft landing. But 2024 may actually become the year of hard landing because all of a sudden, and it's not just floating rate exposures they're adjusting today, but what about 40% of the US government debt that has to be refinanced over the next couple of years? What about 20% of leveraged loans that have to be refinanced? Mm-hmm. So that's what I start to worry about. And then to tie it back to the markets, you know, we are, well, maybe we're slightly above 200-day moving average now, but typically when you have a pattern of lower lows on the market and lower highs on the market and you broke below 200-day moving average, that doesn't bode well for the markets uh, over time.
2: Now, You know, Joe, I would also say about about this market, because it's been proven out this year, just when you thought something seemed so obvious that it was gonna happen in the market, it didn't happen, in fact, things went the other way. Go from the very beginning of the year. Everybody was like, all right, technology, had such a bad year, it's gonna be challenged again this year. Lo and behold, tech, you know, is off to the races. NASDAQ leads by leaps and bounds, and those stocks are the ones that have, have ruled the day. At, at what has appeared to be the most negative moments, when the narrative gets negative, the market has reversed and has gone higher. Here we are after a bad Friday, we come in today, yields are up, it's a sell-off, it's like, here we go, we're, we're, how low are we gonna go? And then all it takes is a move lower in, in interest rates, and then here we are back in the green again. In other words, be careful where you think this market is going in the short term, because it's defied it's defied the narrative in many respects on numerous occasions this year.
3: Without question, I would agree with that. I think, I think there's two investment certainties that you could take away from what Bill Ackman's done today covering a great trade, which you're suggesting. And that is, if you're looking for opportunity as an investor in the equity market, what has, what has surprised the market this year? It's been that quality has come back in the equity market so strong. And the narrowness of opportunity in the equity market really is only, really only defined by if you could give me an equity that is quality or qualitative in its nature. Beyond that, I think without question, the most compelling opportunity in the, mar- in the market, in particular for a long-term investor, is in the bond market. And I think that's what Bill Ackman... Is, is messaging with what he's doing today. It's the bond market where finally you're finding the opportunity and the equity market's tough, it's challenging. I
2: mean, let's just revisit too your, your trade that we visited with you on Friday about mm-hmm. when, you know, I'm not sure you know, everybody remembers this or, or heard it at the time, that you you know, had been betting on the queues as yep. a way to express your bullish interest into the end of the year and you mm-hmm. sold it. And that's quality. You know,
3: the Qs um, largely are quality the mega cap companies, they are quality. So I I think that you 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 could be early, but by being early, you can also be wrong. And and I get the sense that's what's going to happen. I still believe, I disagree with Steve, I I still believe that the potential is there for this quarter to be a good quarter. I think November 1st looms as such a critical date not only from the Federal Reserve, but also the Treasury. If the Treasury is able to neutralize the surprise that they gave the markets with the, the amount of supply in August, I think that's a positive indicator. Are you saying,
2: what well, you mean you could be wrong? Are you, are you suggesting you worry that you could be wrong by selling the queues when no, you no, no, did? No, no, uh,
3: no, when you're early trading, you're wrong. I mean, that's, that's just what it is. I could be right about the overall direction. I could be right about what my bias is, but in terms of taking a bias and actually implementing it, trying to monetize it within the markets, you could be early in what your bias is and therefore you're wrong because ultimately what happens is price and the respect of what your PL is, is going to dictate that you step to the sidelines. And that's in fact
2: what I've had to do with the cues. So we're obviously, Liz, gearing up for the next you know, few days where we get you know, Alphabet tomorrow, Microsoft tomorrow, Meta on Wednesday, Amazon on Thursday. So the NASDAQ, you know, again, this is like a tale of two days, pre-show and and during show. Pre-show, we're like, okay, NASDAQ is approaching the 200-day moving average, which it hadn't traded below since March. That's 12,742. So that's pre-show. Now, during show, NASDAQ reverses. All the mega caps, for the most part, are higher. Now the NASDAQ's good for 90 points. What's riding now on this week, given where we are and all the risks that are out there?
0: The first thing, the intangible thing that's riding on this week is sentiment. You've got all of these big names that everybody's been watching like a hawk, and they've been sort of old faithful during earnings season of they come out, they still produce results, everybody buys, and we go on our merry way. What's different about this earnings season? Well, there's two things that are different. The first thing is that if we manage to eke out a marginally positive growth rate year-over-year for this quarter, it will mark the end of the earnings recession and the bulls will probably scream victory and everything is supposed to be uh, good after that, right? The other thing that's different is that if you look at what's happening in the reaction, the two-day price reaction to Mm. each stock, Mm -hmm. they surprise on the upside in earnings, the two-day price reaction is mostly negative. So not being rewarded for beating, definitely being punished for missing. Now we've got an investor with a much more discerning eye because we're looking ahead to the fourth quarter, which is expected to be really good, and 2024, which is expected to be really good. The market is priced for things to stay at that really good level. And we're hearing commentary that, you know what? We have to revise down our forecast for Q4. We have to revise down our forecast for 2024. So some of that excitement I think is coming out If companies like this, the big ones that report this week, Mm -hmm. start to make statements that, you know what, we might not get as good of results as we thought next quarter and in the following 12 months, sentiment takes a big hit on that.
2: Weiss, you want to know how how sensitive some of these types of stocks are to the move in rates? Tesla's a perfect example of this. Before we get into the Mm -hmm. actual stocks that are reporting this week, you know, there was a moment today where Tesla, in one week, was down 20%, right? Now it's down, well, it's down like 15 15 or so percent. Um, Why? Because as rates come off, Tesla comes off of its bottom. But now all of these stocks, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Meta, are all now in the green. And you own Alphabet, Microsoft, Meta, and Amazon. So what what do you think is is riding on this week? How do you feel about these names going in? Because you're more bullish, I mean, more bearish than, than most, but yet you've got these stocks.
5: Yeah, so my biggest regret out of everything you said is that I got stopped out of my Tesla short because I still think that's overvalued by at least a double. Capital-intensive company, cutting prices like crazy, more competition, and it seems like at least in the U.S. that they're getting tired of EVs. They've got the, you know, they're afraid of the battery life, but they're just tired of them. So, so look in terms of the others. For me, their long-term core holdings which their permanent compounders. I don't know how this quarter will be. I think this quarter will be okay. I think Microsoft's got some risk to it just because of cloud spending and because they've got a new product suite. So generally with tech companies that you see the buying start to slow down in advance of a new product coming out, and that's the AI product, that's November 1. So that could be the issue here. Look, if Microsoft gets hurt, I'm going to buy more. My position there is not as big as my position in Meta, but overall, I think they'll help the market for a day or two. But longer term, just the, the headwinds are just so powerful for the market; they're not going to, you know, save the market.
2: I it's going like to be case by case. You want to disagree with him? I feel like no, you do.
5: I, I, I th-
3: no, no, I, like I, I, I actually, I actually think Microsoft is is critically important to just stabilizing the market. And I think if there's a read through so far it's what's happened with tesla and the reaction to tesla tesla had such strong positive price momentum now we head into this week where We expect that Alphabet is going to deliver something good. We expect that Alphabet revenue growth is going to be above 10% for the first time in five quarters. The market knows that already. We also know on Thursday, Amazon, again, revenue growth above 10%, strong expectations. But that narrows it down to Microsoft, and I really think the pressure is on Microsoft here, because if Microsoft can't give you the cloud growth, Above that 25 to 28%, then I think you could see the potential Tesla. The comps are easy
5: on the cloud growth. The comps are easy. You were just starting to see it stabilize last quarter. We hope that you see it stabilize.
3: So that's why I I really think Microsoft is so critically important just because what Tesla did last week. I also think Meta is incredibly important because if MET is going to go back to spending Mm -hmm. and if MET is going to guide in 2024 to spending once again on AI and all these other investments, I think the market reacts negatively. And it goes to Liz's point, what I said at the top of the show right now, even though we're coming out of the earnings recession, Mm -hmm. you are not getting rewarded for good earnings and you are absolutely getting annihilated.
5: Netflix has held their pop, right? That's one stock in isolation of
3: the 25% of the S&P that's reporting. uh, I mean, the the statistical number...
5: how many have reported
1: the of the big,
3: big cap tax? One. Okay, but where, what do you think there is more of a market impact on, the positive report Tesla. from Netflix right. or the negative impact from Tesla? Without question, I think Here's it's a negative we're, impact we're, we're from Tesla. Screen.
5: Here's what I'd say. It's a moment in time. Right? So whether it's a day or two days, that earnings react, it's a moment. But the market's in, in a critical place, Steve. The, the market is, but I don't think but I think the danger would be to read through on positive earnings that's good for the economy, it's good for the market. These companies are not very economically successful. Well, you can't say it's
2: good for the economy and it's good for the market. It can be That's my point. But it doesn't have to be good for the economy, it can still be good for the market.
5: I think well, only by their weighting. If you get these three stocks, Amazon, Microsoft, and Meta putting up good earnings and Apple sort of now just floating along then just by definition it's going to be good for the market overall well but why do you think that is, i mean
2: that's why the nasdaq and the s&p are up what they right. are up on the year despite exactly. It, it would i mean it would seem as though stocks were down right. but they're not because of many stocks are so but here's my view stocks yeah. e-
5: either own no stocks those three specifically, or own the Qs and own the VOO. Don't own the other side, they're not gonna do well.
4: I think this market is being incredibly discerning, you know, as as far as what stocks are being rewarded and which ones are not. We talked about Tesla, but what the market is really not rewarding right now, but really punishing is unprofitable tech. But the market is really differentiated between profitable and unprofitable. And what we're going to have to report this week are four companies that are highly profitable that are looking at the EPS CAGR uh, growth rate of about 20%. And by the way, they were trading at 32 times uh, price forward to forward earnings. Now they're at 25 times. So I think we have reset the expectations quite a bit and position quite a bit going to their earnings. And so I actually think that near term, we might get some bullish impulse from the reports we see this week.
2: Well, I mean, the other thing, Joe, is that, you know, the, the biggest story arguably in in technology today is about a stock that's not even reporting this week. It's about Apple and this, this report um, that China has launched an investigation into Foxconn. Now, Apple's on pace for its seventh straight down day. So, I mean, the chart, the chart hasn't looked very good. This is now on the heels of those reports about yeah. Huawei overtaking Apple in China. So, Six, you know, what are we, what are we, 20 percent, 20 percent of revenues from this company? Yes. Come out correct. of China.
3: Yeah. Tim, Tim Cook was in China last week. Um, the stock is challenging the 200 day moving average. So I still believe that the technicals are in control. Let's be careful with this Foxconn news, because remember, The the founder of Foxconn has entered the January of 2024 Taiwan presidential election. Okay, so there's there's a little bit of politics that's going on. Well, We've learned you've got to be
2: careful about uh, many of these reports around Apple that pop up from time to time. But nonetheless, the chart doesn't look good. It's it's a straight down day. It's much
5: bigger issue than that with what's going on in China. Look, the U.S. is starving China of chips, of the bed, of the more technically advanced chips. Now, what's, what's so bizarre about this, people don't focus on it, is both Foxconn and Taiwan Semi have major facilities in China. Think about that. So if you're China and you're saying, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna invade Taiwan at some point, what would you do? They've done it before, they'll seize those plants. Why do you think Apple is moving the supply chain to India? So that's very destabilized for tech overall, for Apple specifically. And why isn't, why isn't Tesla next, right? Why doesn't, you know, you're seeing basically a nationalization, you know, that is pushing, boy, you know, BYD and all these other China EV players. Why won't they, like, say, hey, we're going to charge an extra tax on Tesla, no matter how good Eli's Well, that's the why I would go back
2: us. to Joe. You know, when you said the, the price momentum was so positive in Tesla going into the number. It was. I would say price momentum means, you know, absolutely nothing if the fundamentals around a story change in, in any meaningful way. Tesla's earnings report had, I mean, the reason why the stock turned lower, I mean, so who cares if it had positive price momentum going into the report? The report called into question some, some serious issues. Apple has negative price momentum going right. into the report. If Apple reports something that's blowout, you think that price momentum to the downside is still going to remain? No. Fundamentals
3: always yeah. trump. <laughs> OK, know, so I, I, guess, I guess you're in Jimmy Labenthal's camp last week where we basically said we don't look at charts. I'm a big believer. And obviously, by what I do, I focus on momentum. So I'm a big believer that momentum within the market
2: does matter. It momentum- does until it doesn't. Well, Tesla's down 15% in a week, so the positive price momentum it had going into the number today is irrelevant. Down 15% in a week. All right. uh, absolutely. I acknowledge that, but I don't think that's the case for each and every stock. I don't think you could say that. Not each and every stock. What I'm saying specifically with that stock is a good example of how fundamentals can trump technicals. And in Apple, which is down seven straight days now, if it's a good report, who cares about the fact that the technicals haven't looked great and there's been downside momentum in the stock because you know exactly what's going to happen on the other side of that earnings report if it's a positive report. You never know exactly what's going to happen, number one. So don't don't
3: don't carelessly make that statement when it comes to trading. Number two, um, right now, in the case of Apple, you know exactly it's what I trading. mean. It's trading. You said it. You know exactly what I mean. So right now, in the case of Apple, it is trading, in my opinion, based off of technicals, and it's challenging the 200-day moving average. Does it break below there? I don't know the answer to that. If I did, I'd come on air and I'd say I'm short Apple. I'm not short Apple. Does it hold? We'll see. So you think- to your point, to your point though, on what the report can do, the report can be the determination factor on where the next move is for those technicals. Apple's at a critical point
2: right now. Let me so, ask you a quick question. Yeah. Were the were the, the price momentum in tech, mega cap tech at the beginning of the year was bad coming into this year, right? Without question. Right. So what happened when the AI stuff came, happened? What happened? You had to quickly acknowledge they reversed that reversed. negative right. price momentum, right? Right. Because the fundamentals around those stocks, from where they were last year, had changed. And what's what's the it reaction? Changed. Agreed. What's the reaction from the
3: marketplace in that environment? It's to go in, react accordingly, and the momentum, the momentum, did stay in place for the better part of seven months. But that was so last year. So if you fo- no, 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 I'm talking about in, in March and April when we finally recognized that momentum in the fourth quarter was wrong momentum in the fourth quarter suggesting to sell the mega caps was wrong now q1 market reverses momentum reestablishes itself to the upside did it follow through in those mega cap names absolutely the, the determination was how quickly were you able to reestablish positions in those mega caps to benefit from it and that momentum has
2: remained in place up until now that's why we're at a critical point in the market All right. Up next, we've got some committee moves to discuss, including Joe selling one energy name you need to know about. We'll also have more news on that mega deal in the oil space today. We're back in two minutes. we're back. Uh, Dow's still negative by a smidge, though. We're still positive S&P and NASDAQ. Joe, you have a move. Uh, EQT. Yep. You sold it. Why? So I think there's there's two reasons. And, And the first reason
3: is we're coming into a critical part of the season for natural gas where natural gas, the volatility tends to increase significantly. So I didn't want to have the exposure going into that when you have this significant downtrend that's in place for natural gas for the better part of the last 15 months. The second reason, and this is is more the psychological effect of when you're trying to trade, is when you have a trade that goes against you, like I did with the QQQ, I've, I've learned a long time ago, it's always important psychologically to offset that with a good feeling. And the EQC trade is exactly that. It's a stock that I bought at about 31 and a half back in Q1. I'm selling it out now at 42. So you ring the register on that winner, and again, just the overall psychological effect of trading, it tends to balance out what obviously doesn't feel good on the other side.
5: You had this before,
2: like a year ago, I think you sold EQT, right?
5: Yeah, I I did. And uh, look, in a year, um, it just hasn't, if I'm looking at the date right now, which I am, uh, it's about where it was. So look, I bought a quality company. I think I followed Joe into it at the time. Uh, Joe had a great trade in it. Um, You know, energy stocks I tend to trade, and most of the time poorly. So this is one that I actually did okay in. So I'm staying away. Look, in terms of energy, I think it's in a tough spot right now. I do think there's a floor for it because because oil companies, other energy companies, are giving money back to shareholders, whether it's dividends or you know special dividends uh, or buying back stock. Um, so they're not spending on their R&D and they're not spending on drilling. The way the way it could go is that if Iran does come into the war, you'll see just a massive spike. So the risk of reward actually is okay, but. You know I'm going to do a favor for everybody that owns energy equities I'm going to stay away from them so what do you also, think
3: about energy oh, go ahead no go just quick. it's important to remember EqT is a natural gas right this right is natural right. gas right. Now, Right.
4: Yeah. What, what about com- energy here? I'll call, comment on oil specifically, and I think that's right. That if the conflict in the Middle East does white now, then oil is certainly going to become a geopolitical geopolitical bargaining chip. And so I want to have that hedge in the portfolio, and also have a, want to have a hedge in the portfolio in the event that inflation doesn't go down to two percent. So I like it for those reasons. But also fundamentally, if you look at the deficit that we're going into in the fourth quarter, it's about three. T- three million barrels a day. And so I think it's going to continue to be a tight market that OPEC wants continue to draw down inventories and prop up that uh, floor price of oil. So I think it's a sector you want to stay along.
2: What do you think, Liz?
0: I like energy. I mean, it's hard to say that into a time when it's done pretty well and it feels like, is it getting too much? Uh, But I still like it. There's a couple different reasons. First of all, energy, as we know, oil in particular is a big product of supply and demand. You might look at me and say, but you're 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 worried about the economy you're where you're bearish It's not about demand. It's about supply. I think a lot of these supply constraints are going to continue, and that will keep a floor under oil prices. Not to mention, you've got energy stocks that are doing a lot of shareholder-friendly things. This M&A news continues to come in. Mm -hmm. M&A can either be for good reasons or bad reasons. This is all, so far, strategic, not financial. Financial is the bad stuff. So obviously, there's an optimistic outlook from energy companies about the industry. The
2: M&A you're you're referring to is, is Chevron Hess, right? Chevron buying Hess for $53 billion which you have both. We wanted to use your move to, to get into yeah. the conversation, um, but you have both of these stocks yeah. in the JOT.
3: How about this move by Mike Worth? It's anything you could do, I could do better, right? Exxon pays $58 billion for Pioneer. He goes and pays $53 billion in an all-stock deal for Hess. Um, it's, it's a deal that continues to underscore how these U.S. majors are just internationally dominant, It gives Chevron exposure in Guyana, which really didn't discover oil more than 10 years ago. Um, They have a dominant presence there that also gives them a presence in the Bakken. And in the Bakken, you've reached peak oil production. Bakken's not as big as the Permian, Mm -hmm. which is what Exxon's getting with, with Pioneer. But overall, it's just reflective of the dominance of these majors. And in both cases, I think they're good deals. Real
2: quick, is there a who's next? I mean, it's sort of That's Exxon and Chevron. It's not like they are the only two large energy companies out there. Right.
3: it's a great question. You can say to yourself, does ConocoPhillips respond? Um, I'm not sure I'd be speculating
2: to that, but I thought that to myself this morning as well. Okay. Uh, Pippa Stevens, uh, speaking of oil, Uh, has the headlines for us. Hi, Pippa.
7: Hey, Scott. Well, as the U.S. advises Israel to delay its ground invasion, the Hamas-run media office in Gaza says more than 5,000 people have been killed since October 7th, and about 70 percent of Gaza's population has been displaced. Meanwhile, sources tell NBC News the U.S. is telling Israel a delayed invasion would allow more time for hostage negotiations and to deliver aid to the region. 37 truckloads of aid crossed into Gaza over the weekend, the first assistance to enter in more than two weeks. According to UN data, this is a significant drop from the almost 5,400 truckloads of goods that normally would have entered Gaza during this time period. And a new study finds there's nothing we can do to reverse the melting of the West Antarctic ice sheet. That could lead to the sheet's collapse and raise sea levels by as much as six feet, according to scientists who researched the topic. They said the melt will take hundreds of years, but will require some people in coastal communities to rebuild or abandon their homes. Their warning came in a report published today in the journal Nature Climate Communications. Scott, back to you.
2: All right, Pippa, appreciate that. Pippa Stevens, up next Our calls of the day one Wall Street Bank initiating coverage on the travel space today. It's interesting timing. We're going to highlight two stocks with the potential, they think, uh, more more than 20 percent upside. We'll do it next. Welcome back. Our call of the day today, HSBC initiating Marriott and Booking Holdings with a buy. So you own, Joe, Marriott and Booking Holdings. I just found this call kind of interesting. Just given where we are, these questions about the consumer, Mm -hmm. um, we've done so much travel already. Mm -hmm. Whether now is the time to be upgrading these stocks? Marriott price target 233, bookings goes to 3650. The stocks have, have had a great run thus far you question that timing? I feel
3: I feel a little better about Marriott only because of the exposure through uh, to the, the more affluent consumer. And I think I think that's where the resiliency is right now in consumer spending uh, with, with that affluent consumer. So I I, I understand what you're saying. And, and I I somewhat uh, we're mind melding on that, if if you would, because I, I, I think, you know, where we are in the cycle right now and with the expectation that the economy is going to slow down, you somewhat call that into question.
2: But Marriott's probably in a little bit of a better position. I mean, trends, Anastasia, just don't seem that great as it relates to the consumer. You know, I know Amex had a good report last week, so that that flies in the face of of that comment. But then, of course, you get the subprime auto, you know, news today, which makes you just reconsider where we are. What do you think about it right now?
4: Well, as Joe said, there is a bifurcation in the consumer going on for sure. But you know, specifically for the low-end consumer, you've got the oil prices, the gasoline prices going higher that detracts from spending. The, then you've got, for example, credit cards. If you look at the p- balance that you pay or the interest rate that you pay on your revolving balance, it's 21%. So for a lot of consumers that have maybe relying on credit to finance the consumption, I think that's also going to be tough. Then I think about broadly the consumer discretionary category. You know, housing, travel, all of that is part of it. And housing market activity is certainly not com- going to come back anytime soon. The other thing I would say about the consumer discretionary sector, for example, 10 percent of the debt outstanding for consumer discretionary is floating rate. So I actually think from a margin perspective, that's probably one of the more impacted sectors. So uh, to me,
0: that's the space I would avoid.
2: What do you do with this space here? I would not do you see it as bifurcated.
0: I mean, not not really. I don't want to oversimplify it. But I mean, I think maybe something like Marriott or some of the brands that are dependent on a business traveler are probably OK for a while. We've obviously seen a lot of business travel come back and we know that business travelers are much less price sensitive. So that should buoy some of these stocks. But if you look at just the readings of inflation and what's been driving inflation, a lot of it is transportation costs, a lot of which is airfare. And consumers have just said, mercy, we can't pay that anymore. No longer are we seeing crowded where people are paying $1,400 for a coach seat. So I just, I think that the consumer has tapped out on some of that travel that seemed ridiculous. We're now past the summer travel season where everybody went to Europe, right? I think some of that is over and, and the hype has come down. I'd be staying away from these until we know more about how much pain the consumer is actually in.
3: One small point, Visa, uh, Visa will report this week and it's very important to understand, is Visa going to raise the fees to merchants? And that is going to add more stress on the consumer because that, without question, it's become acceptable. Oh, good. it's what become is it? three accept- and a half percent. Three and, and, and a half percent. Every time
2: so, you use your your card, there's that sign at any establishment for the most part that you go into these days. Correct. Your and the, ex- the expectations on Visa this week for revenue is not as
3: strong as it has been since the third quarter of 2021, so Visa's... I think uh, they're going to roll that back. I think Visa's going to be an incredibly important
5: read-through to consumers this week. Weiss? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, But then again, if you don't have the cash, if you don't have the bank balance, you have no choice but to live off your credit card. So I think it's going to challenge other people. So their activity may, in fact, be higher because people are willing to finance it. But it would be interesting to hear the most important thing they can talk about are the delinquencies and what they're seeing there. And not just delinquencies, you know, because maybe they don't put them as delinquent until they're six months or 90 days, I forget how they account for it. But that's going to be the key to this report. All right.
2: Up next, rising rates in the regional banks. Big focus on that sector today. It's higher, but it's pacing for its third straight negative month. Look at the committee's take on that. It's been an interesting trade of late, as you know. It's down 15% over the last three months. We're back next. Green across the board. As I said, what a difference a few hours makes. We're talking Regions Financial today. Stock is flat, Uh, we'll call it that. It was downgraded today at Wells Fargo. That's Mike Mayo. Uh, To equal weight, price target cut to 16 from 24. Regions Financial downgraded at Wedbush uh, to neutral, target to 15 from 20. Um, No one owns Regions Financial, but it is a decent time to check in on the regionals just because of what rates have been doing. What do you think about these?
0: Well, OK, we have to compare to what happened earlier in the year. This is the risk that we know. This is the the positive way that I can try to spin this, is that we already knew that this was a problem, right? This isn't going to shock anybody. Now we're getting more details about we've had some banks abandoning product lines because they're not profitable, they're dragging on results. That's probably smart, good stewards of capital. However, this isn't over. And that issue was saved by the Fed. It wasn't solved. So now we're still in this space where the Fed has extended loans and said, hey, we'll cover you until... Bond prices recover. But none of, well, that's none a loaded, of this. That's such a but, loaded comment. But none of this. Do we ever has solve anything? <laughs> we... No, but, that, but that's the thing. So now we're getting more, more details about the problem that still lies out there. And the other thing that's different about this is that when it all happened in spring, the big mm-hmm. banks benefited afterwards, right? I think that's over. That's all but played out. So now we're in this space where financials have traded down. Banks are trading poorly, particularly regionals. Big banks are no longer benefiting from the pain that regionals are feeling. And there's nothing to really buoy that up.
2: You had, Anastasia, liked the financials. Yeah. Now you do not.
0: <laughs> I do not. You know, like Joe
4: you know, pointed out sometimes, when you see the data, when you see the facts, you want to reverse the view. And I'm reversing the view of positive financials because, first of all, rates are moving in the exact opposite direction. And so we might be back to square one, which is where we were in March, where rates higher and mark-to-market losses uh, lower for some of those banks. So that's the first problem. The second problem is I am becoming more concerned about delinquencies and defaults. And it all comes back to the banking system, whether it's some of the delinquencies in consumer credit cards, whether it's in the corporate and collateralized loan obligations, whether it's, it's other losses in commercial real estate, that all sits with the bank. So I worry about those. And then the last thing is, you know, kind of the pillar of a positive thesis on financials was a pickup in capital markets activity into the fall. And yeah, we had a couple of IPOs, but at the same time, the deal activity is really not recovering and certainly probably won't, not with this level of rates and with this level of equity markets.
2: Joe, Bill Gross tweeting, I don't know, an hour ago, "Uh, regional bank carnage and recent rise in auto delinquencies to long-term historical highs indicates U.S. economy slowing significantly, recession in fourth quarter. Is that that been the overhang? I agree
3: agree with everything you said. I'm not sure about recession in the fourth quarter. But yes, that's been the overhang. And one of the better things that I've done in 2023 was very early to move to the sidelines with regional banks and not get tempted to step back in once again. By the way, if you're considering going into the regional banks, your first move is not into an individual regional bank. Your first move is into the ETF itself. But to Liz's point, you have to observe where financials are trading post earnings i sold bank of america i sold morgan stanley Mm -hmm. happy that i did it look at the way they're trading today in an uptake look it's a very short pop
0: very very
3: short pop and if you if you pull up the charts on where they are today they do not look good city does not look good as well the financials are
2: trading awful all right mike santoli he's next with his midday word We are back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday word. What a difference a few hours and a tweet make, I guess. (laughs) Seemingly, yeah,
1: um, Scott. I mean, I I guess you had to have the market primed uh, to be looking in this direction for the fact that things have gotten stretched. So if somebody like Bill Ackman, who's kind of gotten the bond call correct, more or less says that's enough for now, uh, I think it just reminds people that we have gone a very long way uh, on the yield side. Not to mention, you know, you've hit a little bit of friction around 5% on the 10-year, both Friday and today. So at least just for a moment, it's like go to your neutral corners and see if the market uh, in a pretty oversold state with earnings on tap and with the the better seasonals maybe going to show up at some point. Uh, It seems like that was the excuse for a little bit of relief. I don't know if we want to extrapolate too much from
2: it. No, but if you want to continue with the boxing analogy, are the tech earnings going to be good enough for a knockout for bulls to think that there's something going between now and the end of the year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I can see where you would not want to necessarily be too aggressive in betting against that. I know that's a backward way of uh, of approaching the question, but just that idea that you have. You know, several trillion dollars worth of market cap going to be reporting. They're not really economically sensitive. They're not really swayed by yields. The stocks have all pulled back appreciably. So let's wait and see if you can get a decent reaction in an earnings season that has not engendered really positive
2: responses, even for good numbers. All right, good stuff. I'll see you in a couple hours. Uh, right. Closing bell. That's Mike Santoli. Final trades are next. Well, it's going to get real starting tomorrow with mega cap earnings, which is why tonight we've got Low Tony with me. Uh, we're going to get you right set for all of these mega caps and what's really at stake here this week. Shannon Sakosha, A.J. Oden, Aaron Brown is going to give us the PIMCO playbook as well, so we're excited about all that. And I hope you join me on Closing Bell. Liz Young, final trade, what do you have?
0: Consumer staples. I'm doubling down on this one. I think the consumer continues to trade down. If the economy does hit the skids, that's where you want to be.
2: Oh, how exciting. I know. <laughs> Jeez. Joe, <laughs> buy the pullback in Jeez. Uber. Jeez. <laughs> buy the what? Pullback in Uber.
5: All okay. right.
4: Buy I'm buying the shares of QQQs that Joe is selling. I think sure. heels may pause in Megatech Deliver. All mega right, tech good tech good
5: deli- stuff. Deli- we got I add to Bitcoin. Friday passed. DC Circuit Appeals didn't modify their judgment. I think you got to own it. All right, good stuff, everybody. See you
2: on the closing bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern only on CNBC.
0: Completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full halftime report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash halftime report disclaimer.
6: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX. With a premium Bang and Olufsen sound system, up to a 313 mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.